I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Murray Kinsella here stepping into the rather intimidating hosting shoes of Gavin Casey. He's away and I know keeping track of Kelly Harrington absolutely bossing it over at the Olympics. Joined as always by Bernard Jackman Birch. We made it to the last week of what has been the longest season ever. What a great match to finish though. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, there has to be a, a better spectacle than we had last weekend. And um, I'm just fascinated to see. I think we know what the box are going to bring, but I'm fascinated to see what Gregor Townsend and Warren Gatlin can do to, to try and unlock this vice-like grip that the Bok defence have had on us. Yeah, well, we're also thrilled to be joined by top South African sports writer Craig Ray. Craig, thanks a million for jumping on. I've really enjoyed your stuff over on the Daily Maverick, so so people should check that out. But how are you? Good, thanks, Maria. Yeah, nice to be on, and yeah, I'm pretty good, thank you. Also, quite glad that the series is coming to an end, but uh, <laughs> and it's coming to an end with a decider, which is which is a rare thing, which is cool. Yeah, we're in a strange place on this side of the world. There's a an All Ireland uh, GA match clashing with the Lions on on this Saturday, and people are now deciding whether they're going to watch that or the Lions, given the lack of build up and hype here what's it like over there maybe even in comparison to 2019 world cup obviously off the pitch it's been a really tough time for south africa how is the the build up to the deciding test yeah it's a bit better uh, the, the first test was weird because we were still in level four lockdown so no bars were open no you know pubs sports clubs anything like that so when i drove to the stadium through the center of cape town and through Greenpoint area where the stadium is, where there's tons of bars and restaurants, normally that would be you know, people flowing out onto the street. It was like a ghost town as I drove to the stadium. I mean, it took me three minutes to get into the stadium. You know, it's just something that doesn't happen. And then last week of the second test, the bars had been reopened and level three, we had gone to level three. And the streets were full of people and there were just box jerseys everywhere and the bars, people were spilling out of the bars. So at least there was atmosphere um, and excitement around the stadium, if not in the stadium. Yeah, that that definitely makes a, a difference. Obviously, Razzie has dominated the headlines. I know your piece today, writing about him, the headline is, Rasmus has challenged an entire system that needs an overhaul. Can you give us a, a sense of how this story has been perceived in South Africa by the Springboks fans, even by yourself? Because there, as you point out in your piece today, there are several strands to this. Yeah, look, I mean, from a fan point of view, you know, Rassi can do no wrong. So, you know, Rassi's right, and that's pretty much the South African view, you know. And um, and, and as you say, it's a bit more layered than that. But uh, as from a journalistic point of view, um, I understand why people are upset about the way he did it. I, I totally get that. But you've also got to wonder at what point does someone say enough's enough? You know, we keep sending videos. We keep sending clips to World Rugby. We keep asking for clarification. We keep having the same issues come up over and over again. And I can only, you know, he's only talking from a South African point of view. I'm sure a lot of other coaches feel similarly in their games. And I guess he got to the point where it was about timing. There was a bit of the Gatland uh, and the Lions sort of playmaking before the first test. Uh, the box had lost the second test. There was pressure. And I, he, he weighed up the decision whether it was wise to wait till after the series or try and get maximum benefit for the Springboks through doing it this way but also knowing that he was going to be raked over the coals. So I, I think it comes down to a situation where I think the content of his message is strong and good. Um, perhaps the delivery and the timing uh, is debatable. 
uh, depending on which side of the fence you sit. Mm, it's a very divisive issue, Bert. We talked about it last week, but it has been, I suppose, updated in the meantime with the misconduct charge against Razi and SA Rugby. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but you also had this Marco Massotti figure, the head of consortium who owned the Sharks, coming out on Twitter yesterday saying he's got a team of New York lawyers. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of posturing, is it? Is it really? But um, Bert, what's your what's your take on this? He's been charged now, so clearly World Rugby are, are, are not standing for it. Yeah, we, we spoke about this two weeks ago, uh, and um, I, I, I agree with Craig. I think, uh, unfortunately, we spoke about this on a pod uh, uh, probably during the year about how refereeing was struggling to keep up with the the, the game and getting further and further left behind. And I, I think, you know, sending in clips, I mean, every coach is doing that. Effectively, a couple of referees reached out to me after he posted that video uh, and uh, they said now now basically the world see our world um, so effectively referees are getting that kind of footage every week but the problem is we don't see any real improvement or consistency or action so effectively all we ever get as coaches or coaches get is apologies and if Razzie waited till after the third test you know um, what good is an apology you know and I think also he's doing it from a position of strength you know they've won the World Cup okay they lost the first test match but you know, he wasn't under massive pressure for his jobs and he did it he did it in a way that wasn't, you know, post match press conference full of emotion. You know, he, he he doubled down throughout the week and eventually on the, on whatever it was the Wednesday or Thursday we got, you know, an hour long insight into where his grievances were. So I really do hope this is a a, a, a turning point for, for World Rugby and, you know, the officials. And I, and I understand it's very difficult for them, but look at I thought the sighting process and what we saw on on from second test showed up that it's miles behind where it needs to be. I mean, you know, um, I, I the, the the one the one incident that they cited proved to be not uh, punishable. You know what I mean? The Kyle Sinclair one that none of us saw. There was other stuff in that match that surely was worth a look at. But look at the the whole thing is it's an amateurish system with professional people running it. Or be, sorry, p- professional people being paid to do it. And it's getting further behind. So look, let's let's get a rugby match on Saturday. Um, let Razzie defend himself and see if World Rugby are willing to make the changes internally to actually make sure someone like Razzie doesn't have to do this again. Mm. I'll be fascinated to see what precedent World Rugby set with this. Just just briefly on this Marco Masadi character, Craig, is this just a bit of posturing on Twitter? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I spoke to people at SA Rugby, and they were just like, "What? What? He's got nothing to do with this. What, why is he even getting involved? Just, you know, stay out of it." Uh, and actually, effectively, as a, but surely, surely he, the best lawyers in the world are in America. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not when it comes to rugby laws, though. But uh, <laughs> uh, but he, um, it's interesting though. He describes himself as his owner, I think, in one of those uh, remarks, which actually means. He could be charged by World Rugby because <laughs> that tweet is actually um, bringing the game into disrepute. Technically, he could be hauled up on charges as well for that tweet if he is the owner, as indeed he says he is. So, yeah, look, uh, I think South Africa's got decent enough lawyers. Rossi will have legal representation. And, you know, let's leave it at that. But I think it does call in, uh, uh, yeah, private equity is getting involved in rugby in a big way. And these are, you know, firms putting in hundreds of millions into rugby. And, you know, if if the amateur, if as Birch said there, the, the amateur side of sort of officiating and officialdom continues, you know, you can't, you can't see that companies spending hundreds of millions on, on a product are going to sit back idly by and let this continue. 
So they might become players uh, under you know, using litigation, perhaps, to uh, to make a point in future. I think that's a great point. I think like if you're if you're private equity money and you've just invested a huge amount of of your investors' funds in a game, and one of the uh, the red the, the most prestigious events is ruined by, by it's not a spectacle and, and it's not all down to the officials obviously there's a style of play issue as well but effectively the game became so stop start that it, you know it's not an attractive or as attractive proposition for for new tv deals for sponsorship etc so i do i do think you know there obviously there's a play there in terms of the commercial side of it but without without doubt um they will start to to flex their muscles in terms of what the product actually looks like eventually. And that's, that's something that is just, as far as I'm concerned, that's a, that's a given. Yeah. And if I could just make another point, Murray, sorry, if you just take Rassi's 26 examples and let's say the Lions had 14 Springbok examples that they didn't show, you've got a game, the pinnacle of the sport, uh, supposedly the Lions against the world champions, where there's conceivably 40 glaring errors in a game from the officials. Um, that is a problem that needs to be addressed, no matter how it's brought to the fore. And I'm not sure it is going to be addressed. And maybe it's going to take you know, litigation from uh, someone like a private equity investor to get us there, which, of course, no one wants to happen. It's a tough old gig. The players probably made, what, 100 errors combined between them as well. We should just briefly point out. So it's a, it's a tough old game. But just on the style of play thing, Craig, I mean, that's, again, been a big talking point in this part of the world. I know you've asked it in a couple of the press conferences what is the perception amongst South African rugby of the style that's being played? I, I'm guessing no one cares if they're winning. <laughs> There's two styles of rugby, losing rugby and winning rugby. That's it, and no one cares. Um, yeah, bottom line is in South Africa, they do not care. The Springboks are winning. They won the World Cup. If they win the Lion Series, no one is going to go, well, they kicked the ball a lot. They won. That's that simple. Mm. Bert, you're... Have you got reservations about the style? And I mean, we must say the Lions have basically mimicked their style. They've brought nothing in, in terms of attacking ball in hand rugby. No, I admire the the box. They've they've found um, a model, a game model that's suited to them. Um, they're implementing it every week, and I think it's up to the to the rest of the world. You know, I'm fascinated to see what the All Blacks will do against the Lions. Um, if the Lions don't, you know, throw something at them this week, I, I think the Lions deserve an equal amount of uh, more criticism than the box because they're trying to play a game that's actually not really you know uh, they're not really suited to against a team like South Africa um, and like you have to be a little bit braver I think Um, and I think they got selection wrong before they started the tour and they just lacked any real identity as a, as a team and they got carried away with the poor with the very good results against poor opposition and you know, I don't know what they felt if they felt that was going to be easy against the box. But if you look at the stats, I mean, they're not the first team to struggle against against the box defense. Uh, but you would like at least them to fire a shot. And um, unfortunately, at the moment, after two tests, I can't really see any real clear strategy um, to go and find a weakness. And there is weaknesses in it. And I'm not saying they're easy get, but um, you gotta you gotta at least try and. Yeah, so I, I don't. I, I'd be more critical of the lines than the than the box. To be honest, the box don't they don't try and pretend or anything uh, other than very strong set piece, very good defence, pressurised kicking game, and they score tries off the back of that anyway. So it's not as if they don't they don't score tries. So 
I would expect the Lions to have been a little bit braver and more ambitious, but the the selections have been like mind-boggling. I mean, you know, to go in like to want to play wide wide and not have a playmaker, not have a thirteen who's co- who's a you know a comfortable passer, leaving Slade at home. Um, you know, going with Elliot Daly in, in the first test, Chris Harris in the second test, and now another combination this weekend. It's just um, it's all over the place. Mm. Selection is, is huge, Craig. The box are missing Faf de Klerk and Peter Steph de Toy, two huge figures. What will they miss exactly and how can they compensate for those losses? Yeah, they're both massive. I mean, look, they, they played pretty much 75 minutes without Peter Steph de Toy last week. I know he only went off after 20 minutes, but you know, he ruined his shoulder early in the game and was really not in it for the next 15 minutes. But Faf is big because he he's a he's a great defender in the Springbok setup. Uh, you know he has the sort of almost free role where he shoots up out of the line, you know makes a play, um, also reads the game very well. Yeah, Kubas Reinach's a lovely rugby player, but I don't think anyone you can teach anyone to read the game as well as Faf does. I think that's an innate sort of gift that he has. So he he will you know anticipate a kick coming over the top, or they're going to move it wide, and he will run a covering line and. Um, you can train that and you can practice that and they, they, will, they would have done, but it, it's a massive blow. You don't just replace Faf de Klerk that easily, um, as good as Reinach and, and Chai Chis are. So that's going to be a, an area that perhaps the Lions will look to exploit, maybe testing uh, the defense of the Springboks with some more chips over the top because will Reinach read them as well as Faf did last week? I don't know. They can, they'll have to probe there a little bit and see how that looks. Peter Steff, well, we know when he's playing, you know, his work rate is second to none. He makes a lot of tackles. He covers a lot of ground. He plays in the wide channels uh, uh, on second and third phase. Um, and so he won't be there. Uh, and, and Franco Mostert isn't as mobile as a, as a flank. Um, so don't expect the Springboks to speed this one up any more than they did last week because of that. Um, you know, so that is an issue. Um, but, but they do have mobility off the bench with Quacher Smith and Marco von Staden. Um, I'm a bit confused by the Mornay staying selection, to be quite honest. Um, mm. you know, I know he can kick well for goal. Uh, I'm just not sure, you know, is, is he even going to get on if the box are in a tight match? Are they going to risk taking Pollard off, assuming he's fit and feeling strong enough to go the full 80? Are they going to take Pollard off if the game's in the balance? I very much doubt it. So I don't see, you know, I just see him as insurance if Pollard, Pollard goes down. That's the only reason I can think of that selection. Yeah, well, it could be quite an incredible story if he does have a say. He obviously kicked that winning penalty 2009 all those years ago. He's 37 now, Birch. We got a question on Twitter from Alf Deacon. He said, if the game goes down to the wire, is your money on Mornay Stein or Finn Russell? Mornay Stein, 100%. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I can understand why. Uh, they obviously used to go with, they were going with a 6-2 split. Um, I think if Pollard got injured early, you know, they'd like to have Mornay Stein and they can just, you know, play territory and back him to, to kick goals. And, and Pollard has been a little bit, he's still very good, but his kicking hasn't been at the standard maybe we're used to. So if he was to have a real off day, you know, uh, I know it'd be a big call to take him off, but you know what you're going to get with with, with Mornay. So yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to have Mornay staying coming on in, in test three um, with all that experience and pragmatism and assurance in goal kicking than Finn Russell. You know, let's be honest, if Finn Russell's coming on, the Lions are in trouble. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, so he's he's coming on to try and make things happen. And if you're Jacques Nienabar and the box defense coach, and you see him come on, okay, you know he can do stuff, but you also think you can capitalize on the fact he hasn't played for four weeks, and it's obviously going to be a, a stressful environment, and he's going to be trying things. So, uh, 
yeah, I think it's a bit late to be bringing him in. Uh, to be honest, I think, um, yeah, I think that's actually not really strengthening the the Lions. Uh, I, I think he'll get he'll get spooked by the rush and, and end up running up his own bum. Hmm, I can imagine staying kicking that winning drop goal. Just on the bomb squad, Bert, you did a really good piece of analysis after that second test about their impact. They're obviously back to five three now. Does that diminish the Springboks? overall power do you think I look at it it's injury and force but I mean to be able to bring on um, you know Malcolm Marks uh, Trevor Niacani and, and Vince Kosh, uh and obviously the two fetchers I think it is a bit of a stretch on Mossart I just think Lou Diager the impact he had last week he has to start and I think you know it's no coincidence that they scrummed and mauled a lot better with him he's just a bigger more powerful man and uh um, they now have three lineup options, um, obviously with Mossart in the back row, which they lost when Peter Steff went off. So, I mean, I think their line-out looked really vulnerable when uh, when they had Sia, uh, Khaleesi, um, Vise and Quagga uh, Smith in the back in the, in the back row. So, I, I think, look, at it, it's, set up to, it's set up for line-out, both defensively and offensively, and I think scrum power. So, look, at it, it's not as strong without six, but... Um, I mean, they should be like they just have momentum now, and with the French referee, if they can show that dominance at Mall and, and scrum again, I, I it's going to be very difficult for the Lions to, to win the game. I think. Mm. Craig, can you sum up how the confidence levels are in South African rugby? Well, I, you know, I don't think anyone's overly confident. I mean, I certainly not. I mean, you know, the first test the box lost. Okay, there's lots of issues around it, but they lost it. This Lions team. Yeah, it was was leading at half time in the second test, and actually up until an hour mark, it was eleven nine. There was nothing in it, um, and if it's the same situation, one or two points in it at the at the hour mark, who's going to have more in the tank in the last twenty? I mean, that's going to be interesting. But the Springboks do have momentum now; they have confidence, and I think that second half last week gave them a massive boost of confidence and momentum. And if they make a good start on Saturday with Lutyaga, if the pack gets on top early. They'll just build on that momentum and rumble on from there. And I, I think, you know, looking at the Lions selection, I know Warren Gatlin has made some bold calls before and they've paid off. But, you know, it's his third different center pairing in three tests. It's, you know, Bandiaki hasn't played for three weeks. Finn, uh, Finn Russell hasn't played for a month. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe they know more than me. Well, they're sure they know more than me. But just looking from the outside, it looks slightly desperate, some of these calls. Um and maybe it has to be. I mean, it's a you know, winner-take-all match. Why not? You've got the squad. You, you, you've got the players. Um, I just wonder how much Gregor Townsend's had to do with that selection uh, you know, and, and Gatlin's sort of gone, okay. Because the Lions have shown no real attacking ambition in the series, in the test matches so far. And now to suddenly expect them to be this whirlwind attacking force in the third test when the stakes are so high is going to be, it's quite a stretch to believe it's going to go like that. Mm, it's going to be interesting either way. Before we let you go, have you seen much of our very small Irish and UK media contingent over there? Uh, just <laughs> just on match days, that's it. Um, you know, we also separated such a weird tour. I mean, you know, it's not a tour at all. It's, you, know, it's, you go to the venue and you run, in, you, you run into people and, and that's it. I mean, I know the touring guys will stick together. But yeah, I was hoping to go up to Joburg and spend some time there and travel around and, and you know, and do those kind of things that you would normally do. Yeah, and the fact that none of the tests at altitude is is a problem. You know, I, I think that would have been great for the series. The Springboks, I'll say this: they they don't generally play a fast paced game in Cape Town. Just it's just something about Cape Town they don't. It happens occasionally, but 
But Joburg, I mean, you you would have seen Springbok All Black Test at Ellis Park, or they are just such high octane. People call the Springboks boring, but when they when they get involved with the All Blacks on the high felt, those games are a million miles an hour, um, and it's all about momentum at rucks and yeah. You know, and then they do swing the ball and score six tries to five or six tries to four in a match. You know, it's they can do it, but I just think something about Cape Town. Well, listen, hope you can get maximum enjoyment out of it. We really appreciate the insight and, and we'll hopefully catch you soon. Cheers, Craig. See you, Craig. Bye-bye. Great stuff from Craig there and, and really good burst to get the, the insight from from over that side of the woods. What about the line selection then? You mentioned earlier on, like they have jumped around a fair bit. We've got six changes in total. Liam Williams, Josh Adams, Bundyaki, Ali Price, Wynn Jones and Ken Owens coming into the starting 15. You're kind of concerned more than excited, I think, by the selection. Yeah, look, I think... Um I can see completely why Wynn Jones and Ken uh, and and Ken Owens comes in. I think we needed. I think Lou and Karen Dickey's been been really good, but just you probably need that partnership of of himself and Wynn Jones together on on the um, hooker and loosehead side to just stop Bungie and 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 France Malherb Herba you know, getting into that into that little gap that they were getting to last week, and obviously in the second half it just. You know when the when the replacements came on, it, the scrum just disintegrated. So Ken Owens has been there, done that, um, and I can see why he started. When Jones was going to start the first test, and again he's probably looked the loose head, um, you know, most capable of of winning penalties. Now I don't think he's dominating. I just think he's very crafty, and uh, he's just very tricky to play against, which is a skill in itself. But um, and he makes the referee make decisions, and 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 they have tended to go his way over the last year year. So. That's that's understandable. Like I thought, Liam Williams should have been starting in, in Test One and Test Two. I mean, mm. Stuart Hogg was out of form at tail end of the season. You know what you're going to get. You have to be secure under your high ball, and and um, Liam Williams is the best fullback in this squad for that. And Josh Adams again was a was a bit of a strange one. I know he had he had one average performance, but um, he just backed him as a warrior and a, um, and as a, as a competitor. And you know his his try scoring ability, but mainly his toughness. To be honest, is um, was something I felt that the Lions have lacked. Uh, I'm probably surprised. I am surprised. Duan van der Mer held his place, and I know there's a stat going around that whatever eleven times the Lions kicked that he kicked chased, we won the ball back. But in general, um, I, I don't think he. I think he's his strongest. His super strength is his power. And I think of all the international teams in the world where that isn't that important on, as a winger, it's it's against the box. Because they'll eat that power up for breakfast. You know, you need to be either incredibly quick or, um, you know, incredibly incredibly agile um, or really mentally tough, um, you know, which I think Josh Adams is and, and, and feisty to get, get into them. And I just think he's going to get targeted again. And I think he, you know, if... If Jack Nienabar had to put up weak links and target points in in this box, uh, sorry for this test, he's 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 the most glaring one for me at the moment. And then, like, am I happy to see Bundy in? Yeah, I am. Um, and I think him and Robbie obviously have a relationship, but it's just not known what your twelve and thirteen are going to be like. Um, and not having like I think leaving leaving Sexton behind um, has caused a lot of problems because you could have went. You know, he could have went Sexton Farrell, uh, 10-12. And I think Johnny would have... And this, like, I don't think Johnny would have allowed the attack be as poor as it is. You know, and that's the beauty of someone like Sexton. I'm not saying that Bigger or Farrell aren't, um, you know, drivers of, of, of things. But uh, I, I couldn't see Johnny going out into test match one or two 
without a better plan. Um, and that's, uh, I, you know, you see them bringing Morning Stain in as a 37-year-old to potentially help them win a series. You know, I, I, I am in the favour of bringing Finn Russell in when when it's it, it, it shit or bust. You know, I, I just think you're better off having someone who has been in these situations many times uh, and has, has won and, and failed. And, and I think that selections, like I said, not bringing Slade, not bringing Ring Rose, you know, trying Elliot Daly at 13, uh, Chris Harris at 13, you know, not having an obvious second playmaker when surely the part of the, the attacking strategy has to be to get outside that blitz. But then if you, if you put in two, pa- two non-passers, um, how are you going to get around it? Like, it's just, uh, I don't know what you think, Murray, but I think unless Gregor Townsend pulls a rabbit out of a hat, um, the question marks around his ability as an attack coach. And just last thing on this before I let you talk, let's not forget that he has gone away from um, the attacking philosophy that probably he made his name in. Like, like the part of the World Cup review that the uh, and Scotland bombed at the World Cup was that they they didn't have the tools or the whatever to be able to break down international rugby defences. Um, and Scotland have, have got better results without being outstanding by any manner of means, but they've got better results being more pragmatic. So, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised really that... He, I think his philosophy has become mixed and that seems to be the way the team are playing. Because mm, we've got a question from the members WhatsApp group. That's uh, members at the 42.e if people want to join up there for extra pods, etc. But Mick asked, has Gregor Townsend underperformed on this Lions tour given the non-existent, as he calls it, attacking game plan or are there external factors? And obviously, Gatland is the one with the final say here and and decides how they go. We saw lots of different strands to their play in those build-up games. We saw that profile of the forwards who could pass, tip on, tip in, link out the back. We saw some nice attacking shape, obviously against defences that are not even on the same planet as as the box but maybe there were, you thought there were hints there um, and we just haven't really seen it in the, in the test they've tried a few little things but their execution has been actually quite poor as well even if you think of that one where they tried to cross kick to Tamaro Toje back over Faf de Klerk off one of the lineouts, and and you think that's actually a pretty clever idea but they just didn't execute it certainly they didn't look like they'd practice it under that kind of pressure and and there is no pressure like that. So it is a big question. One, one for you, Birch. This is from D. McBiggy on Twitter. It says, should in-situ national team coaches, i.e. Townsend now, or Gatlin in the last two, two, two tours, should they be considered for future tours so as to avoid any perceived or otherwise bias to national team players, i.e. they want to avoid upsetting their own and develop their own at the expense of others? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, like, look, at the, the narrative is that more Scots are playing in test matches because of Gregor. And we don't know we we don't know how that those selection meetings are are are, are being held. I do think that Warren this isn't stereotype like it's hard to say this is Warren a Warren team, if you get me. Uh like so over the last ten years, obviously watching him uh with Wales and, and, and the last two Lions tours, you've always I've always certainly had the sense that um you know Warren is driving this right, and even the the whole conversation around the first test and how the selection meeting went, and you know there wasn't uh, alignments and like I wonder as like I, and look at he he's been there done that, but let's not forget he's coming off a, a, an average season in Super Rugby with the Chiefs, a difficult season with the Chiefs, and has has he changed as as a coach, and is it more uh, is it more shared ownership, which uh, which is great in in certain environments, but um. 
I think the the challenge is is to for national coaches to go in there and not bat for their own players because they have to go back and coach them later on. Um, so I can absolutely see the point of uh, of where that could lead to trouble. But it, uh, it's been a factor in the past and hasn't been um, hasn't been really raised to be sufficient enough to to change it. The other challenge is if you leave out those coaches, you know, uh, you'd imagine that the best coaches are coaching the national side. So. Uh, you're hampering yourself then I'm not saying that there's not guys who can't do it but that's the challenge of, of that um, and also let's be honest if the Lions pulled something out of the bag on Saturday we, we, you know, we'd say it was genius the fact the way they've rotated players and brought Finn Russell back from the from uh, the wilderness but like you think of Ian Henderson captain the Lions against Springbok A's which you would say was a, a dress rehearsal I've seen no test rugby um, Adam Beard comes in and I know Adam Beard came on and, and did well in the, and defended them all and them all is a is a threat so they need to focus on that but um, Ty Byrne like, hasn't really got a fair shot off the bench I don't think um, and uh, you know he's out now for, for Sam Simmons in effect really um, and you know the box won I think 70 out of 70 rooks at the weekend so are you going to just let them have the ball and you know try and deal with the high ball or would it not be great to, like let's not forget if you catch the high ball from a box, from a rook, you're 25 meters further back than you would be if you had got a penalty or turnover where the rook was, and I and I just don't think the box are going to be like when you coach a team that plays against Tyke Burn all week. You're talking about, you know, see that scrum cap, see that scrum cap, see that scrum cap. You got to be effective. You got to be accurate because if he gets a sniff, it's gone. Um, and I don't see them really. I know Curry's not bad on the ball, but I I, I don't see them being worried about the lines um, at the breakdown, which is, you know, you need to give them things to worry about. And from attacking point of view, we haven't given them enough to worry about. From a set-piece point of view, we haven't given enough to worry about. From an aerial collision, okay, we got it. We, we won some ball back in test one. But realistically, I don't see them being afraid of a hell of a lot of what we've shown so far. Mm. Like you're looking at Wynn Jones being the biggest jackal threat in the pack and he has been missed in that area. He's, he's excellent yeah. over the ball. But, but you're right, the... Lions have this sense around them of kind of stumbling towards their identity and, and hopefully for them it clicks this weekend. But you've seen them, even with the mixing and matching of the teams, certain players suggesting tempo, others suggesting a kick battle. Um, and I suppose that is part of the challenge. But in previous Lions tours, we've probably seen a stronger sense of what their identity is going to be coming into the tour based on the players they've got. Yeah, and in fairness, Murray, like normally Finn Russell, Adam Beard uh, will be playing... Um, midweek games so yeah. you know we could go wow he's in on form like the challenge we have is we're looking back and Ian Henderson as well I mean he could have used midweek games to to push ahead of Adam Beard but the challenge we have is that for those players it's effectively what they did up as far as Springbok A um, is what we remember and after that it's all about the coaches in terms of what they see in a training but also obviously what they feel they need to stop the box. And there's no doubt Adam Beard is there to try and, you know, disrupt that line out mall, which became an Achilles heel at the weekend. Mm. I was going to ask you about that next. We know the aerial battle is going to be absolutely pivotal and hopefully from, from the Lions point of view, Liam Williams will be big in that area. What about the mall and scrum, Birch? Can they turn that around given the dominance the box had in the last quarter of the second test? Is that something you can fix in a week with a different referee and a, and a couple of different pictures? You can, but... I think you need you need to you can't allow them show dominance and I think what Win Jones is very good at is 
if he loses the hit, he collapses it and he basically gets a reset. And I think what the Lions need to do is they need to go to ground, go up, um, maybe go around the side, but not go backwards. And, you know, unfortunately, they showed a couple of pitchers last weekend, um, the last scrum penalty, I think in the 75th minute particularly, where they just got disintegrated and went backwards. And if they show that to Matthew Reynal in the first 20 minutes, he will back the box all day. And and if, if the lines go down up after that, um, he'll be very clear in his mind, comfortable in his mind that the box are dominant and the lines are the ones, you know, pulling tricks. So I think they need it. It's a huge test for Rob McBride, I think, this week. Um, you know, in his in terms of his ability to technically be able to fix some of those scrum issues. And and I think Tyg Tyg's bind is, is is quite loose as well and quite long. I think there's just little things that worry me in terms of individuals probably not as tight in certain areas as, as the box are, for example. And uh, um, it's, it is hard to see. You know, I, I just think that the Jager, his, his power in the second row as well is influential. Um, you know, less, like I think Mossart isn't a heavy duty lock and they've got two tight head locks effectively. Um, the box have now starting. Um, and yeah, Kitchoff is obviously, I think, a good operator. I, I don't see them stopping, to be honest. And that's why I, I backed the box to win, because I, I don't think the Lions... OK, it mightn't be as obvious as last week's dominance was, but I still think they'll edge that that pack, battle, scrum, line-up mall. And I don't think there's any way back from there. Mm, I'm with you. I'm edging towards box. And you, even still, the, the fact that they've selected Mornay Stain on the bench suggests that they think it's going to be really narrow. Hopefully yeah. we get a, a better spectacle, but it's going to be a, a battle again. Just briefly, there's another big test this weekend. At the moment, we're not sure it's going to be on TV in, in Ireland and the UK as things stand. All Blacks versus Wallabies, Bledisloe won. We've got the Wallabies missing the likes of Marika Corumbetti from their drink concession. The three Barretts are on the All Blacks bench. How, how do you see this one going? It'll be really interesting. Yeah, look, I think it's obviously disappointing for um, uh, for Dave Rennie to have a, a disciplinary issue this week, but he, he, you know, he's made the right call. He's, he's, he's handed out the punishment. I like this Australian team in terms of where they're going. You know, I think they, they, there's some new talent coming through. The, the franchise is there and, and I think they've got a very good head coach um, and a good coaching staff as well with likes of Wise Mantle um, you know part of it Peter Stuplessy part of the scrum um, their scrum is improving uh, uh, look at it, it's but you still you got to love the the all back particularly the the back row you know Sevilla Ioni uh, and Dalton Papali um, you know having the three pirates on the bench you know um, Aaron Smith I think playing his 100 game you know yeah, I, I'd be I'd be fancying the the All Blacks now. I do think the All Blacks. I think it's a huge, it's a huge rugby championship for uh, for Ian Foster, um, given you know what happened in the World Cup, um, and just a couple of little bits of rumours around, um, kind of the 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 player's ability, uh, faith in his ability to turn things around, and then you've got you know this guy in the background, Scott uh, Robertson, who. Who can do no wrong, you know? Um, so I, I think the pressure's on the All Blacks more so than normal. And if they're going to make a change, if the NZRU are going to make a change, you know, they'll have to do it, you know, I think this at the end of this cycle to be ready. So um, I think it's going to be fascinating, uh, this rugby championship in terms of, yeah, particularly how the All Blacks perform. I think the, the Aussies are on the right track, but just mightn't be good enough this weekend. Or maybe not this year, but we'll get there. 
Yeah, well, fingers crossed we'll be able to watch that match. But Birch, enjoy the final Lions test. Same applies to everyone who's listening in. Thanks a million for, for doing that all season, really. This is actually our last episode for the season. It has been a long one. We are back on Saturday post-match for a members podcast. And then on Monday for a video analysis review show, you can join up at members.the42.ie. But that is it for the 42 Rugby Weekly for this 2020-21 season. We'll be back in September very soon, just around the corner. And really looking forward to building up to the new season. But for now, enjoy the final lines test. I don't think we've met before. But I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass.